Welcome everyone to the very first DigiHeretica podcast series. In this podcast series, we will talk about startup law. Since this podcast series will not just focus on theoretical knowledge, we will follow the life cycle of a startup. From very initial idea to IPOs or the exit stage, we will learn about the startup's journeys and their legal challenges along the way. My name is Tal Hassan, and of course, I'm clueless about this topic as much as you. So I will be the one asking questions about to learn. And we will get our answers from our guest, Tim Kara PPT, attorney at law from Winter Thailand, Amsterdam. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Tyler. Nice to be here. Firstly, can we get to know you briefly? Sure. My name is Tim Kara PPT. I'm uh, 40 years old. I have a wife and two children. I uh, live in Harlem and I work in Amsterdam at Winter Thailand. I've been a lawyer since 2008 primarily focusing on the traditional corporate M&A transactions of a company. And since about a year or six ago, we started focusing specifically on startups, uh, representing mostly startups in from the day they are born until uh, hopefully the day that the founders are able to make an exit. Perfect. So actually, we we're going to focus on that route as well. So uh, let's start uh, digging the questions. So I'm going to start with the broad one. Um, how do you start a, start a startup in Amsterdam, in Netherlands? It all begins with an idea. Um, most of the time, there are two or three persons that have a great idea that's going to change our world. Um, they start developing that during their studies at universities or maybe in the attic of the house of their parents. And then um, uh, that's either a computer program or it's a real uh, tangible object. Um, and they're going to develop that further to a certain stage that they think they can show it to the world. Um, and from that moment, they often don't realize that they've already started something that looks like a business, not always with the idea that they actually can make money out of that. And from the moment that they start realizing that or the moment that they understand that they need money to continue, maybe to actually uh, be able to eat or just to be able to invest in the company, then uh, it becomes more legal, I would say. And then uh, your first company is born. Uh, then you can take the first steps into registering your company uh, as a partnership or whenever other firm and you have to start thinking about the way how you're going to organize that. Yeah. That's how it starts. Perfect. But as you said, like in the beginning, most of the entrepreneurs starts building their business without having any legal entity, without having a company. Is it necessary to start with right in the beginning with a company, with a legal entity? No, it's not strictly necessary. Legal entities are something that you really have to take any effort in, in creating. Um, you will be, um, you need assistance of professionals for doing so as well. Uh, it's not necessary. You can just start um, both creating the new idea and making it into a product and also starting to do business on that. We call it um, uh, either a one-man shop or if you work together, you do it in a partnership and um, uh, you can do that just by doing so. The one thing is that if you actually start operating as a business, then you are on the obligation to register yourself in the trade register um, under the header of a partnership, um, which not of, not all parties do, obviously, but that's, that's how the law works. Uh, it, it also gives you certain benefits, for example, that you will be recognized by the tax authorities. You get a VAT number, you can buy stuff <laughs> using a VAT number that gives you a tax break. Uh, you can start uh, uh, undertaking a lot of other actions being recognized as a real company. Uh, you can start making use, for example, of benefits 
tax benefits, but also grants, etc., because you, you can be found. If at a certain point uh, it becomes more beneficial to you to incorporate, then you have to go to the process of incorporation. The question obviously is when are you going to make that step? That's always interesting. Uh, lawyers and, uh, for example, accountants uh, differ a little bit on that opinion, on that matter. Um, let's start with the, with the opposite. <laughs> uh, from the accounting and uh, tax point of view, um, you can make use of a lot of benefits as a non-incorporated business. You can basically have a lot of tax breaks, put that way. Some of the accountants say, well, you can make a lot of revenue until maybe one of 150, maybe 200 a year before you should start thinking about converting it into a actual legal entity. From a legal point of view, we think of it a little bit different. Lawyers tend to think in risks. So one of the main reasons of incorporating a company is to shoot yourself as a person from risk to the outside if you undertake business that has a risk in it. For a lot of startups, that's not always the case. I mean, what is the risk of your computer program, your SaaS not working as it should? It's probably the fact that you have to repay maybe some subscription. But is there actual damage being incurred for the fact that people can't reach your, I don't know, online email program? Probably not. If it's not, then from a legal point of view, your limitations may be limited. Your, li- your liability may be limited. However, if you are incurring risks that you don't want to undertake anymore because you are contracting for 100,000 euros, and if it comes, you have to repay 100,000 euros, I don't have that no, I don't have that money. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't want to pay that. So, and, and if I can't insure it, then I'm probably going to use a company entity and that's going to be the entity that's carrying the risk for me. Uh, that's actually a good point of view, like the risk perspective that it's companies are built because of the limiting the risks of individuals. But uh, as entrepreneurs, uh, when they come to the phase of Establishing a company, they see that there's different types of companies and they don't know that which one is the best for them. So there's a different companies, different type of companies in Netherlands as well. Which one is for the best for the startup? Right. We have a, we have a limited number of uh, legal entities in the Dutch law. The one entity that's 99 out of 100 cases is the limited company, the limited company uh, called the BV. It's pretty much similar to what you know in the UK as a LP, uh, sorry, a limited company or a uh, BVBI in Belgium and similar, similar entities where you have a company that's being incorporated and whose capital is divided into shares. And indeed, it shields you from the liability when you're speaking about the position of the shareholder or the directors. The first line of defense you want, the liability will remain with the company and only in exceptional circumstances, it will be on the directors and even in more exceptional, most of the time that doesn't happen come back to the shareholders. So that's your, your normal entity will be a BV. Uh, is in, the, in the future, is it possible to change the company type? Let's say that I want to grow and I want to become a different type of entity or let's say that I want to move my company to another country and I want to move my assets with the company as well. There's there like a method to do this as well. Right. Or you can change a company to an indifferent form. There's not unlimited possibilities that you can do that, but to certain types of companies you can. For example, the most often used methodology would be to change your private limited company into a public limited com- a public company, which is called an NV. Um, you would consider using an NV if you want to go public. 
if you're going to want to make a use of a, uh, going to make an IPO and an initial public offering to a public market, which is not strictly necessary in all cases. You can use a BV sometimes as well, but it depends. And in most of the cases, it would be an AV, but that comes with additional obligations. And from a startup point of view, that's not really a benefit. It's on the contrary, it's more regulated. You want to be more flexible and a limited company offers you, oh sorry, a private limited company offers you more flexibility than a public one. So that's one. Moving to a different country, that really depends on the country where you want to go. Most of the time, there's no need for one. You would set up another one. You would set up either a subsidiary company or maybe a new holding company. And that would be uh, a relationship of a parent company and a subsidiary company where the operations in that country would just be organized and you make a link between the two companies, for example, by a license agreement or transferring assets. Um, however, every time there's where tax comes in, uh, every time you start moving around assets, it may become a taxable moment and uh, you have to obviously prevent that. So most of the time you start just uh, in a new country, you set up a new company under the local regime. So if you go to uh, Belgium, you set up a local BV um, and there you start operations or you set up a company in the UK, then you make a subsidiary in the UK and that falls on the parent in the Netherlands. Okay. okay. So like, just for now, follow up small on that. What is the main reasons a company to move out to another country? But what should be the, what, why, why a startup will move to a country that maybe much more business exists or like what should be the legal and business wise uh, reasoning behind it? Right. From some countries in the world, it is mandatory to have a company at that jurisdiction, at that country, in that country. One of the reasons being that in some jurisdictions, the government or the prince needs to have a stake in that particular country. Um, most of the European countries that doesn't apply, then you just rather have a company in a certain country because of the fact that you are actually operational in that country. If you have a product that's aimed at consumers, then it is always good to have a local company which people can actually call in, and they recognize the number that's a local company. They recognize it. And, and uh, if you turned around, if you are having a Dutch consumer market, they may not feel as comfortable of calling into a country that's far, far away that they're not really used to, right? If you work in Amsterdam, have a problem with your product, why having to call to Greece? There's nothing wrong with Greece, but why should I call to Greece, right? So just also for these matters, and I've got a great company, and why is that? And so that's one of the reasons. Um, other reasons is to make use of certain benefits at that country, maybe tax breaks, or uh, seeking investors in that country. And those investors really want a local entity because they understand how that entity works. Uh, also, that could be something, uh, maybe projects with a local entity that also require you to have another same type of entity in that country where you can have a joint venture with can all uh, happen all different reasons to, to do that. Let's say, um, okay, we are establishing the company. I'm come to a, a paperwork and I need to set my company charter establishment contract, let's say. And there are so many clauses that I need to fill or so many things I need to consider. As an entrepreneur, I have no idea what to do. What are the main points that I need to focus on? What are the risks of during that uh, establishment phase, doing that paperwork? Right. The first on process, if you set up a company in the Netherlands, a limited company, 
uh, or BV, then you have to go to a civil law notary. It's not something that you can do in between you and your partner. You have to go to the notary. That's the only person can actually incorporate the BV in the Netherlands. The notary will give you advice. That's their task as well, to explain to you and help you making the right choices on setting up the basic parameters of your company. So how large should your share capital be? What type of shares are we going to use? How many founders and what's their role? Are they going to be the directors or not? Um, so the basic set of rules will be there. On top of that, we generally advise that if there are more than one shareholders or individuals involved in the company anyway, that you conclude the shareholders agreement. Um, reason for that is there are certain agreements that you want to agree on that you don't want to put in the articles of association. One, because the articles of association, which is the charter, um, uh, will be registered with the Dutch trade register, the business register. And everybody can just Google you in the trade register and then get the articles of that company. That's not the case for a shareholders agreement. So you can put in specific agreements that not need to be public and you can make specific arrangements. Other elements are just not being dealt with in articles. Like the way how you actually split in case of a difference of opinion where you need to split as the sole solution. That's one thing that's not dealt with in when those things. So you, you, you agree on the mechanism in the shareholders agreement because also in the life of startups tend to happen not always the way how you want it. So that's one of the topics, but also on matters that you really want a higher majority or unanimity uh, approval on, uh, or the other way around that you basically give a mandate on the other one to deal with that. You're going to be the CTO. The other one is going to be the commercial side for some. So in order to keep some details on a business that public don't that as an entrepreneur, you don't want a public to know, you keep it as a shareholders agreement and things that public need to be known legally are written on the uh, article, articles association. Article yeah. association. Okay. yeah. Plus, the, the, if you've recorded them in the Articles of Association, then, then they're fast and they're, they're pretty rigid because every time you need to go to the notary to change them again. Whilst if you are just the two of you, you record things in your sales agreement and you agree on something else, then your sales agreement is being changed, right? So that, that's much easier. It becomes larger, uh, uh, more difficult when it becomes larger, when there are more shareholders, obviously then sometimes the benefit uh, falls a bit away, but okay, uh, in the beginning, that's that's definitely most most practical. Okay. So we established the company, and but before establishing the company, we started, um, I say six months ago, and we made it through, and we created some products or some software. And after we established the company, what should we do? What is the next step should be? Right. As we said, we can start a com- we start a business without a legal entity, and obviously that, whether you're aware of that or not, that happens. Um, then, if you incorporate that company from legal point of view, you and your partners are the legal owners of that product, idea, business, whatever you want to call it, that 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 total package, and that package of assets and liabilities needs to be moved to that entity. But since it's a legal entity, it's something different. It's a different legal person, so it has its own right and obligation. So you're actually moving those assets from you guys to that company. Well, that's that transfer needs to be facilitated. You can either do that 
buying corporation and then declaring that it is actually being um, contributed into the company, contribution or shares. You do that through the notary, right? Because they incorporate the company. And you would like to have a view of a tax advisor on that, whether that's going to cost you because you're actually moving the assets from your own um, uh, property. It belonged to you. Now it's leaving you and going to somebody else. And that that transfer is generally something that it may be taxed. So you need advice from a tax advisor and your notary on to see how you can structure that in a way that it's not being 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 charged. One of the reasons for incorporating company early is to prevent that that issue as well, right? Because if you start right away with a company, not listening to the accountant and also not not making the assessment that the liability may be too high, but just for that fact. And you at least know that everything you've developed is already in that company. But otherwise, you have to move it in. And again, that may be charged. The other way of doing that is if we can consider, for example, that that asset or that idea or that product or not product yet is nothing worth yet. Because not selling anything, it's just an idea, etc. Then you can just basically move it by reaching an agreement with the new company, which is you're, you're the directors yourself, so you're signing an agreement with yourself. But from a legal point of view, it's I think it's on the other end, on the one end with the company and on the one with yourselves. And you're just transferring that assets and liabilities to that to the entity. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like transferring uh, another entity, but you're also will be the on that point, maybe like you're will be the only uh owner of it. Yes. It's gonna be a giving from left pocket. It right will be left pocket, right pocket, <laughs> but from a legal point of view, it's actually left pocket different trousers. Yes. 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 <laughs> Good analogy, yes. So uh, startups uh, tend to have risks. Uh, they need to have some risks and they need to take some risks in order to grow. And those risks, risks sometimes involve in taking some legal risks or financial risks or could be like business level, management level risks as well. And they need to cut costs in, in every point of their growth. Is legal sometimes for startups could be point that they can take some risks because they had first maybe they don't know so much they don't understand the legal point of view and also they focus on the business aspects more than the legal aspects so is legal compliance is really necessary in the beginning of a business adventure obviously as a lawyer i can't say no <laughs> uh, no uh, <laughs> yes um for example, the, the, the example that I just gave, when you're transferring your assets to a company, whilst, for example, that, that, that idea that you developed already had come had come into a product and the product was already uh, being sold and you've got high valuable contracts, then your business in itself is, is valuable. If you just start shifting that around and moving that around, then all of a sudden you may be hit by a tax break that you didn't foresee. That's one of the things that you kind of have to think about. Other elements of compliance, I mean, the fact that, again, you don't need a company, but if you set up a company, you rather do it well, right? So take a little bit the advice of experts on how you can do that best. But there's always this tension. I obviously recognize that. In the beginning, nobody has money. You want to put all the money that you have into the product development. And then there's all this legal gibberish. Nobody really wants to be a lawyer, right? So... Luckily, there are a lot of initiatives where you can find a lot of information on the internet on how you can best set up your company. Um, uh, that helps. And definitely have a look around. 
uh, most startup lawyers won't be uh, uh, too unwilling to give you some advice in the beginning. Uh, uh, just have a chat with them and see how you can manage things. And in the end, if you really need to hire a lawyer, um, which we do recommend in the beginning, because legally speaking, it's actually quite a difficult or complicating uh, complication, lots of complications in that in that phase because it's actually a lot of things coming together. It's incorporation. You have to think about the relationship with your colleagues. You have to look ahead on what's going to happen. And if you do it incorrectly, it may harm you in the future. So it, it does take a little of your attention and does money. So you do need to reserve money. If it only were for the cost of actually setting up the company and not even on the advice. And from that moment on, it will be running costs. That's, that's, that's one of the downsides of this thing. If you incorporate a company, you have running costs to keep up the company, but also you will find yourself coming back to lawyers a lot during your startup life. Best to do it right in the beginning and then reap the benefit of that than to be penny wise and then see what happens. And sometimes you get away with it and sometimes you don't. But if you don't, then it's going to be not double the cost. It's going to be more, right? So that, that helps. Yeah, you put a good point and said that like in the beginning phases actually sounds easy, but so many things need to be considered. So many things need to be put together. And as a lawyer, a person who specializes in this field, you need to consider every option, everything in behalf of the client or how of the entrepreneur. Uh, what makes that lawyer who specializes in this field distinguished from the other lawyers, professionals, legal people? Uh, that people who specialize in this, what are the skill sets for this? Right. I think you, you strike the right point. Startups in the beginning and also during the, their life cycle will come across a lot of legal, legal challenges. And as a startup lawyer, it is good that you understand like the scope of it. Uh, I'm not pretending that I know all. I don't. If you have a question on a certain topic of specialized IP or, I don't know, immigration law or I need I need to consult my, my colleagues as well. Uh, but if it comes to the basic parameters on which you need to know as a starting and developing startup company, then I can help you because I know from experience and what I do, what kind of things you have to think about. When it comes to GDPR, I can at least bring you onto call saying, look, did you think about that? Uh, maybe you should take these basic measures. And if you're really, I don't know, working with sensitive information on your SaaS platform, maybe you should get a, a specialized lawyer to assist you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all the corporate matters, you have to, to balance them out and see what needs to be done and what can be done later and, and then make all that. So the broad spectrum uh, of knowledge that's required in any type of startup, because obviously they come in many varieties, it would be good if a startup lawyer, or at least let's put it that way, a startup lawyer tends to know sufficient to get you on the road. Uh, later on, when the company becomes more mature, then, then specialized lawyers will be the one to go to if you have a, let's say, let's hope that you don't, but if you have a large dismissal, dismissal coming up, then I'm not going to advise you on how to dismiss uh, uh, 10 employees at once, right? So that's for one how, how these things work. But also, if you really want to have a patent, then I will refer you to a patent term. So like in the beginning phase, it's... It's good that you lead the like a like startup lawyer leads the entrepreneurs on the in the first right direction, so they can if they keep up that direction, that will be good for them. But if you don't have anyone to lead you in the correct way, in the beginning you will end up with the 
on the roads then you can get lost or it, it will be much more costly to nudge in the right direction right for example a lot of questions that we have concerns did um, the question whether you need to patent your ip right because everybody thinks ip is key to the company i can only protect it if i register it as, a, as an octoid patent what is typical about startups is that it often revolves around software or software type of innovation. And not being an IP lawyer myself, I tried to weigh out the cost and the process that's involved with that, which I have a general idea of, versus the actual purpose of doing that for a startup. But what I often say is that for a SaaS company that may have developed this perfect algorithm and all that stuff, the question is, what is really important to you? Is it that you can protect your IP and your algorithm, etc., at all costs, at all times for the future and everywhere else? Or is the fact that you, with that IP, will be able to become the largest player in the world on that and then have a head start on any of your competitors can just have a look at yourself or if you're a code for all I care, but will never get the market position that you have. And instead of then advising that startup to invest about, I don't know, 8,000, 12,000 euros on a patent registration that's going to take them one and a half year. And after the one and a half year, if they succeed and they have a patent that's already outdated by the time they're going to use for protection, then I'd rather say focus on sales. Right? So your strategic advice as a legal guy, which you always have to be a bit careful about because I'm not a business runner, I'm not a business expert. A lawyer, but I help you assist in doing so. That's that's I think one of the benefits of being a startup. Yeah, it requires some other skill sets, maybe not within not within the legal profession, maybe like a little bit broader. Right, and also within, right? So again, if you would talk to an IP specialist or let different example, if I talk about uh, to an employment lawyer, then he will give you perfect employment law advice. I, I definitely understand that. But you may be looking at some kind of broader advice and sometimes the specialized lawyer may not have to focus on more than that, right? They can help you perfectly with that one thing. But if you're looking for a employee participation plan that, that goes somewhere between shares and bonuses and everything in between, sorry, I don't know what, then they need to understand the purpose of that employment program and also the implications that it may have for your next funding round, right? Just your employment advice, giving you a perfect employment agreement and a nice bonus is then not enough. It was a good session. We learned that's how we start a company. Uh, when should we start a company and what should we careful careful about? And what is the what is the basic of incorporation? Uh, thank you, Tim. And thank you. uh, thanks everyone for listening.